Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that you have made us to be disciples and citizens of your kingdom. And we ask you now, O Lord, that as you send us forth into this world to produce the good work that you have prepared in advance for us to do, that we would be found faithful and diligent in this work. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been uh, reading through the Bible and you come across a verse that makes a lot of sense to you and then you, you read a little bit later on and you read another verse that seems to contradict the one you read before? Like, have you ever had this experience where you're like, those two sentences, they seem to be true in and of themselves, but when I put them next to each other, they seem to be in tension with each other. They don't seem to make a whole lot of sense in light of each other. This will happen very often. This happened to me, actually, this past week as I was uh, preparing for this sermon. We, I came across the verse, and we'll see it here in a little bit, uh, that was in our reading. And in my mind, I thought, this kind of, kind of seems to contradict another verse that shows up even here in the Sermon on the Mount. But when, when you come across a tension like this in literature, it's something that is called a paradox. A paradox. A paradox is this uh, instance where two sentences come alongside each other that seem to be saying contradictory themes, but as you take a closer look at them, you find that they reveal to you a deeper truth. Well, today I want to look at one of these paradoxes that I came across again as I was preparing uh, for the sermon this week, and, and we're going to call it the Good Works Paradox, because I think that sounds interesting. The Good Works Paradox paradox, this paradox that appears in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Now, before we get to the paradox, let's just sort of remember where we are at in the Gospel of Matthew today. Uh, we are in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we began looking at this sermon. Uh, this is the first significant section of teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And in this sermon, Jesus is telling us what it looks like to be citizens in the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be his disciples. Now, what's wonderful about this is last week we start the Sermon on the Mount uh, with the Beatitudes. These are words of blessing. These are not commands. They are not expectations, but they're promises. They're gospel words where Jesus says, listen, here's the sort of people I call to be my disciples. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Those who are meek. Those who are weak. Those who are incapable. Those who are, who are guilty and ashamed because of their sins. Jesus says, I forgive them. I love them. I call them to be my own. Which is why you and I know we can be disciples. Because we qualify. We're sinners. And yet Christ in your baptism has blessed you. He has called you blessed. And he has made you his own. He has called you out of the dominion of darkness. And brought you into the kingdom of his marvelous life. Here we have redemption. Here we have the forgiveness of our sin. But now Jesus says, listen, now that you are members of my kingdom, now that you are my disciples, I want you to follow me into the world and bring with you the very mercy and grace that I have shown you. I want you to show that mercy and grace to the world around you. And so today he tells us, you are the light of the world. 
Now, it's not that you're shining the light forth yourself, but you are a light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden because you are reflecting the light of God's grace and mercy and his love. Once you receive that light from Jesus, you begin to reflect that light around you. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And what does salt do? Well, salt is sort of a, a preserving agent. So Jesus is saying, just as I have come to, to die for the sins of the world, to rise again for the justification of the world, now I send you forth into the world to preserve those good things, to proclaim my good works, and to preserve those good things that are in the world around you. All of this is just a wonderful poetic way of saying that as the disciples of Jesus Christ, we are sent forth into the world to do the good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. To use another metaphor that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John, if you are a branch that has been grafted onto the vine of Jesus Christ, you will inevitably start doing good works. It's just what's going to start happening. You might not even know it. You're going to be shining forth the light of Jesus in this world. All right, so this is sort of the setting for our paradox today. Now, Jesus says this, that we will go forth as his disciples and do good works in this world, which he has prepared for us to do, which he will produce in our lives. But then he says this about the good works we perform and really how we should be thinking about these good works. Jesus says this. Here's the first thing, and we heard this already. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Seems pretty straightforward. It makes a lot of sense. You know, people to see the good works you do, so God is praised because of them. And that makes a lot of sense. But then, if we were to read a little bit further on into chapter 6 of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we would hear Jesus saying this in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, which is it, Jesus? Do good works so that everybody can see them? Or don't let anybody see the good works that you are doing? I don't know. That's the end of the sermon. That's all I had this week. I don't know what to do with this. This is, this is complicated. I, Jesus is too hard for me here today. Uh, actually, what we have here is what we're calling the paradox. The paradox of good works. How are we to understand these two seemingly contradictory teachings of Jesus. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at each verse in its own turn, and then we're going to realize the deeper truth that Jesus is teaching us here with all of this. Okay, so again, let's look at that first verse that I read to you a moment ago. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, of course, we want to start off here uh, with our what we call gospel caveat. Notice what Jesus is not saying here, because we're always tempted to hear this. Jesus is not saying, if you want to be a child of God, do these good works so that he's impressed with you and lets you into the kingdom. No, he's not saying that at all. Remember, you are in the kingdom of God. You are a disciple by grace alone. You are here because Jesus has chosen you. How do I know he chose you to be his disciple? Because he baptized you. It was the promise he made to you in that water. God does not need your good works so that you can look righteous to him. He's the one who gives you the good works to perform. God looks at you. Now, this is what you need to understand. God looks at you, and he sees nothing lacking. Because he doesn't look at you in light of your sin. He doesn't look at you in light of your performance. He looks at you in the light of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
And Christ's righteousness has been completely credited to you. You are completely holy and righteous in the eyes of God, all on account of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that we have here. That is why God can be called your father. Because you are his forgiven, beloved, righteous child, all by his grace alone. But now when Jesus saves you like this, when Jesus tells this to you about who you are, he doesn't then pull you out of the world and bring you into some holy, heavenly existence where you don't have to interact with people anymore. Rather, Jesus tells you this is who you are, and then he calls you to follow him into the world, as we said a moment ago, with the same mercy and grace that you have received to show to others. He calls you with him to shine your light in the world around you. So that when people see the good works that you do, God is the one who is glorified. God is the one who receives the praise. God is the one who is focused on, and here's the key, I think, and not you. Not you. God is the one who receives the glory. Now, where is this world that Jesus calls us into? Because this is all sounding very theoretical. By world, what Jesus is referring here to today uh, is simply your vocation, the everyday life that you live. Jesus is sending you forth with his good news, with his gospel, with your good works. He's sending you forth to carry these things out in your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. As a citizen of this, of this community, this state, this country, Jesus is sending you out into this world with these good works to perform, with this light to shine. So the question becomes then, what does that actually look like? And I don't have the time here today. Well, I have the time, but you guys aren't going to sit around uh, for four or five more hours uh, to sit here and tell you each vocation, here's how you shine your light in each one of these vocations and each one of these responsibilities. It would take us much too long. So let me give you a resource to go to this week uh, to help you with this. Um, and, and this will not surprise you that this is what I'm about to say. But I would recommend you pick up Martin Luther's small catechism. Pick up the small catechism and start reading through the Ten Commandments. And there you will find exactly how it is you should be conducting yourselves in your vocations so that God receives the glory. There you will see things that you should not be doing in light of the commandments and the things that you should be doing in light of the commandments. Later on in the catechism, we have this glorious resource called, uh, it's called the table of duties or like the table of responsibilities. And what you have here is just a, a collection of Bible verses explaining how God expects us to conduct ourselves in our relationships. It tells you what your life should look like as a member of a church. There are verses that tell you what your life should look like as a spouse, as a child, as an employee, as a boss, and on and on the list will go. And this is very important because you could just open up your Bible and start reading in Genesis 1 and get all of this, but we don't all do that, have that kind of time. So having someone who has collected all the verses for us to go and look at those things, this is very helpful. So, so that would be my, my homework for you this week. Go home and start looking through the catechism. But if we're looking for, like, maybe just in the sermon at least, uh, a, a quick question to ask ourselves in our vocation. How can we do this so that somebody praises God? Uh, the question you want to ask yourself is, is when I am done with my work today, when I have encountered this person that I'm in a relationship with, will they leave thanking God for what I have done? See, this is maybe the attitude we want to have. In your relationships, say like at work, you should leave and your fellow co-workers, your boss or your employees should say, boy, I thank God 
that there's somebody here like that who goes above and beyond to help the company. Your kids should be able to say, boy, I thank God that I have a parent who cares for me like this, who sacrifices for me. Boy, I thank God, our spouses should say, that I have a spouse who, who, who sacrifices their life and loves me just for my own good. Boy, I thank God that I have kids who honor and respect me and, and look up uh, and listen to everything I say. That's exactly what the kids should have their parents saying, just so we're all clear on that. But I thank God for the gifts that I have received on account of this person, so that the focus of our work is God and not ourselves, that people would see our good deeds and praise God and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Which is, by the way, why it's so important for us here at Community Lutheran Church as we talk about that there were a place where you hear God's word, you learn God's word, and you care for everybody who God sends your way. Part of the, the, the responsibility of that caring work is so that others would see what our church does and know that this is a place where they are going to be loved, not just by the congregation, but by God himself. So this is the first part of the paradox. This is so that God himself would receive the glory and not us. And that line, not us, gets us to the second side of the paradox here. This is the other verse Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here what Jesus is saying is that your good deeds should be carried out not for your own sake, but for the sake of your neighbor. Yes, when you do your good deeds, they should be done in such a way that the people you are loving and serving will praise God, their faith in God will be strengthened, but also they should be done so that your neighbor themselves is loved, is cared for, that their needs are being met by you. They are the focus of your good works. As, as Martin Luther is once credited for saying, though it turns out I don't think he ever said it, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does, so you carry them out for their sake. Now, this was a very important point for Jesus to make in this Sermon on the Mount because he was preaching and there were a number of Pharisees uh, sitting around and listening to Jesus. Pharisees are sort of the, the religious elite of Jesus' day and there were a lot of problems in the religious community because of these Pharisees. Because these Pharisees loved to perform their good works so that others would see just how wonderful they were. They would stand on the street corners and, and, and they would pray. And they would pray and their prayers were probably a little bit more like sermons than they were like prayers to God. But when they were done, everybody knew just how holy and righteous they were. They would give to the poor and they would make a show of it. They would, they would almost be like a, like a parade of how wonderful they were in giving to the poor. Look at all that I have donated this year. Look at all that I have poured out of my own pocketbook to help these poor people over here. God, I thank you that I'm not like them, but boy, I thank you that I am the one you're using to serve them, right? And they would get more attention for themselves. And when they would fast, they would make sure you knew just how holy hungry they were when they were fasting and how they had not eaten in at least two and a half hours. I mean, they wanted you to know just how righteous they were. And this is an important thing for our culture to think about as well. Because you and I are part of a people, and you and I very much are people, who love attention. We're addicted to attention. We love the accolades. We love to be praised. We love to be the center of attention and we love to be God's gift to the world so that our works so often are carried out with selfish motives, self-serving purposes, 
We just want to make sure what we're doing looks good on Instagram so others can see how selfless we really are. No one is nearly as humble as us, just ask us, right? And so we carry out these good works in selfish, self-righteous way. This attitude becomes very dangerous when it becomes to your relationship with God because this self-righteousness becomes something else called works righteousness. And here was the real problem with the Pharisees, or a further problem, I should say, with the Pharisees. Not just that they were doing their good works to receive attention from people, they did their good works to receive attention from God. They didn't believe God was graciously choosing them. They didn't believe God was, was loving them all by grace alone. They believed that if they were going to be righteous before God, if they were going to have a standing in heaven, they had to earn their way there. They had to perform their way into his kingdom. And suddenly what you see with this works righteousness, this self-righteousness of the Pharisees, is that there is no righteousness there whatsoever. See, God, when he sees them, is not very impressed. After all, God looks down and he chooses the poor in this world to shame the wealthy. He chooses the weak in this world to shame uh, the, ri uh, the, ri uh, the, the, the strong. Jesus chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And that's really just because he doesn't have any other option. The problem is so often we think we are the other option. We are the alternative. It's not how it works. See, notice how they get righteousness completely wrong here. Instead of trusting God to declare them righteous and receiving his gracious love through faith, they're trying to work for status in the kingdom of God and they eliminate the righteousness of faith. Instead of loving their neighbor simply because their neighbor needs to be loved and God has placed them there to care for the neighbor who has a need, they use their neighbor for selfish purposes and eliminate the righteousness of love. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in our reading today when he says this, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because theirs is a righteousness that looks good to the world and brings them accolades, but does not come from faith, and therefore does not show forth in love. It is a sinful righteousness, which means it is no righteousness at all. Jesus says no to that sort of righteousness. Jesus would say this, when you love your neighbor, love your neighbor simply because your neighbor needs you to love them. Don't go looking for rewards. Don't go looking for accolades. Don't go looking for attention. They need you there. I have you there. Simply love them for their own sake. Trust me, says Jesus, to do the work that is necessary to make you righteous in the eyes of God. And then follow my commands into the world in order to love and serve your neighbor. Let God be the one to take care of your rewards. You want to know about your rewards? Listen, I've purchased them all for you with my own blood. They're fine. They're waiting for you. They are yours by grace. What you need to worry about is your hungry neighbor. What you need to worry about is the spouse that you have that needs to be loved. What you need to worry about is your coworker who needs your help. What you need to worry about are the people I have placed around you so that I might work through you to love and serve them. And so here we have the paradox of good works. It basically comes down to this. Your good works should not be performed for your own sake. They should be done so that God is the one who is praised, not you. They should be done so that your neighbor's needs are being taken care of and your neighbor is being the focus of your attention, not your own reputation. But as for you, 
ask yourself this. Why do I need to worry about accolades from the world? Why am I so concerned with what the world thinks about me when at the end of the day, I have a God who looks on me in love? I have a God who has chosen to save me by his grace. I have a God who doesn't like praise me for what I've done, but looks upon me and says, I have declared you righteous fully and completely on account of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are righteous. You are justified. You are holy in the eyes of God because of what he says about you, what the world says about you. It doesn't matter. So give your good works to your neighbor. Trusting this promise that Jesus Christ has given all of his good works to you. And on his account, you are righteous. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us faith. Teach us to trust you more and more and not to trust in our own works. But Lord, we also pray that you would make us diligent and faithful in those works so that others would be loved and your name would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.